my grandpa didn't talk a lot about the war until way later in his life, but uh, one time we were traveling back from Saskatoon to the town that I grew up in, and so I was driving with grandpa, and he just started opening up and just telling me all kinds of stories, and it's just amazing. One, one story that was very unique was, so <clears throat> they were out on um, marching through this town that had already been cleared out, and um, there was a little bit of resistance left, but um, as they're marching in through the town in formation, all of a sudden a German sniper opened up on them uh, out of a bell tower, and the guy, his buddy right beside him, boom, just like that, was taken out, and the troops scattered and found cover. And then someone else in the Canadian um, uh, company ended up spotting the sniper and took him out, and the sniper was, was, was killed, and so no more men were, were killed. So that would have been, I don't even know what year it was. He didn't, I can't remember, remember what he said when it was. But years and years later, decades later, um, my grandpa was in, down at a farming operation where they were doing a demonstration of the way they used to farm and, and uh, with the thrashing machines and that sort of thing. And so he was down there at this thing, and, and he gets talking to this guy that's, with, that's standing there, and, and uh, they're chatting back and forth, and he goes, oh, did you serve? And he goes, yeah, I served. And and uh, so for the first time in his life, he met this guy who he'd served with, but he didn't serve with. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was part of the Canadian military. And so they started, you know, sharing a few stories. And, and um, he said, uh, and Grandpa was getting a bit emotional about it because he said, you know, I often think, you know, why, was, why didn't I get the bullet that day when my buddy right beside me took a bullet and whatever. And so this other gentleman said to me, he said, well, where, where was that? And he told him where it was and stuff. And he goes, was that on such and such a date? And he said, yeah. And uh, the guy gets teary-eyed and he said, I'm the guy that took the German sniper out. Wow. Yeah. Decades later. How do you make that up, hey? So they had quite a moment together at that time, you know. But Scripture tells us over and over again, uh, you see, God's a generational God. So when God has something for you, it's not just, like, he doesn't think just, you know, one generation. I believe that, you know, we're a chosen generation, we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, I get that. But God doesn't just, he doesn't just, when he looks at his plan for your life, he doesn't just look at you, Herschel, and say, okay, this is for Herschel. But he looks beyond that, and, and it, I'm not just talking about biologically, it could be spiritually too, you know, sons and daughters and all that kind of stuff, raising up disciples and this sort of thing. But he's, he's always known, all through scripture, they, they, they talk of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I think that's very significant, it's very intentional. It's not just kind of like, oh, yeah, he's, he was my grandpa's God, and he was my dad's God, and he's my God. No, he's talking about something, and he's trying to, there's a, there's a pattern in Scripture that you see over and over again. And then in the New Testament, it's picked up where it says that a, a three-chord strand is not easily broken. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In our church here in Keshefire, Winnipeg, uh, one of the banners says discipleship, some of the things that we believe in, discipleship, and instead of the eyes, it says it's got a number one, and it's, it wasn't a mistake. We didn't get a good deal on the banner because they made a mistake, and we just said, oh, we'll keep it anyway because we're good Manitobans. We like a good deal. It was actually intentional, one and one, meaning discipleship doesn't mean that I'm just um, being discipled, but a true disciple is one who reaches like this, and is discipled, and one who reaches like this and disciples. 
So you've got three things happening here. There's this person, there's this person, and there's this person. You see that? It's that same uh, patriarchal mindset that God was saying, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My promise, if you look through Scripture, you'll see his promises were not just to one generation. It says that he'll be faithful to a thousand generations. On and on and on it goes. So when you think about your life, I want you to think about something today. I want you to think about the promise that you currently are living in, that you're believing for what what you think God has for your life personally. And let's think about corporately. But let's even go beyond that from thinking, my, the promise that God has for my life and my, my job in keeping in step with him and walking in his promises are directly go- going to affect other generations. And so many times we think like, sometimes we just think, you know, it is, it's about, you know, the hope to which he's called me. It's about the promise that he has for me and all that kind of stuff, which is very, very good. We need to live in the now of the promise of God for our own lives. But we need to think generationally. And so when you come to a thing like Remembrance Day, this is not so much a Remembrance Day message, but the purpose we celebrate Remembrance Day is to remember and honor those that have gone on before so that we could experience what we're experiencing now because of a price that somebody else paid years ago. Right? So in all through Scripture, you'll see this. You'll see that there were different kind of altars that were, that were made. And so... Um, there were altars, memorial altars of remembrance. And I want to read a scripture this morning, and then we're going we're gonna to camp out somewhere else. But take your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4. It is a good book, Joshua. Joshua chapter 4. This is a beautiful picture. When, when the Israelites are going to cross over the Jordan, they're going to cross over into their promise. They're going to start possessing the promise. And so in Joshua chapter 4, we'll pick it up. There's instruction given on how the process is going to go. Um, let's pick it up in verse 15. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Order the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests who had bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up out of the midst of the Jordan, the soles of their feet were lifted up to the dry land. The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and flowed over all of its banks as before. And the people that came up out of the Jordan, now pause for a second. Just before this, God said, as you come up, he, told, he instructed them, as you go through, you're going to take the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God is going to split the water, so you're going to walk across on dry ground. Now, he'd already understood what this meant because that had happened once before, hadn't it? And what he said, though, is he said, I want you to take, I want, I want you to take 12 stones... And carry them across, and then once you get across, I want you to build an altar, 12 stones representing the 12 tribes that made up the nation of Israel. And I want you to build an altar there as you, once you get over. And there's a, there's a reason that he's saying, I want you to build an altar. So that's previous to this. Then he gets there, and he says, they came up out of the Jordan, uh, and they encamped in Gilgal, the east of, border of the border of Jericho, verse number 20. And those 12 stones which they took up out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And to the Israelites he said, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? You shall let your children know, Israel came over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord God dried up the waters of the Jordan until, for you until you all passed over. 
And the Lord said, uh, and the Lord, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which dried up until we passed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you'll reverence, reverence and fear the Lord your God forever. So the, the purpose of this altar was remembrance. And uh, I want to look at this, this whole thing, because altars were very, very um, instrumental in the lives of God's people all through Scripture. So what is an altar? Well, I'm glad you asked this morning. It's a structure on which offerings are made to a deity. Because there were also, remember, remember um, you know, there was the, the prophets of Baal, and they had an altar constructed. There were, you know, ungodly altars that were put up. And then there were godly altars that were put up, right? And so, you know, the fire, the, the, the firestorm that took place and Elijah calls down fire and that whole thing. And whoo, that was fun, wasn't it? And so, but uh, anyway, you'll see it all through scripture. So it's not just, it wasn't just godly people. It wasn't something they just did. But uh, in Hebrew, the word actually means uh, to slaughter. And then in Greek, it, it um, translates a place of sacrifice, but uh, it's used for, um, for recognizing a place where sacrifice is offered, even if it wasn't an event involving slaughter. Altars were also uh, places where the divine and human worlds interacted. So in this case here, it was an altar of remembrance or memorial, an altar of a memorial that they would look at it, and when their kids would walk by it, they'd be like, what, what, what was that there for? And they'd say, hey, 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 this is the place. This is where God came through for your mom and your dad and your grandpa and grandma. And that same God promised that he would be with us and he will be with you. And so when they'd look at it, it was, it was like an anchor point to a promise of God or a breakthrough of God. Something that, that God did. And it's a testimony we all know that the, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When I talk about how God did something in my life, you can get under that by faith and say, God, you're no respecter of persons. If you did it in his life, you'll, you can do it in my life too, in Jesus' name. And that comes out of living an identity. Because you've got to believe that you deserve it. Nudge your neighbor and say, you believe God's best. Some of you don't believe it. Say it again. You believe God's best. And then nudge the other neighbor and say, you deserve God's best. Yeah, you got it. Say, I deserve God's best. Yeah. There were, altars were places of exchange. They were places of communication and places of influence. God always responded to altar activity. You see it through scripture, like I said. Uh, the contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal uh, involving the altar demonstrated the interaction between Yahweh and, and Baal, like two different, like the demonic realm and, and the supernatural God realm. It, 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 was, it was like a clash of the kingdoms, and the clash of the kingdoms took place on an altar. Noah built an altar, and he offered a sacrifice to Yahweh, to God, and uh, it says that God smelled the aroma that came up from that altar and it actually, he smelled it. So something in the natural superseded the natural and became spiritual. And God smelled it. And it says that because of that, because God smelled it, he responded. And he said, declared, I will never again destroy all the living things in the world through a flood. There was a promise made, a covenant made. So 
All through the patriarchal period, you'll see, you know, altars were markers of a place uh, commemorating an encounter with God. You know, when Abram is called, and then he goes into a vision, he goes into a trance, and he falls into a sleep, and he's in a trance, and he sees an altar, and he sees the two halves, and he sees, you know, the birds coming down to, like, the demonic realm trying to rob the rob the sacrifice and he shoes him away and whatnot. We know it's a prophetic picture of what would happen with Jesus, right? It's interesting that Jesus was crucified on an altar, as it were, when he was out there and, 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 and on Golgotha. It was like a raised up place where he, he was crucified. And so um, we understand now that not, you know, we don't have, we don't have uh, altars as, as they did back then so much. But altars were, because of what Jesus did, obviously, we don't have to sacrifice like that again. But I do think that there's so much power in remembering. And so I want to ask the question this morning, in your life, what kind of an altar are you building? So, well, let's go, let's go into it. I want to, I want to go where we're going, to, we're going to camp out here. Genesis chapter 28. How many have ever responded to an altar call? I, you know, I've, I've, I've given thousands of altar calls in my life. And I love, and sometimes we don't take time for like an altar call or, or altar ministry, that kind of thing. I remember at one time thinking, in my younger years in ministry, thinking, why do we even call it an altar call? Like, I get it, it's about an altar. And we always, you know, in my day it was like, you know, you wouldn't, like the building was holy, right? How many grew up with a holy building, okay? Aren't you glad now that you realize that this building is holy? <laughs> so it's not about what's been made with, 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 with stone or with wood or whatever, but it's about what's been made by God that houses the glory of God, the, the ark. We are the ark, yeah? And so, so anyway... Uh, that's why, you know, Jesus said, actually, you know, don't worry about the building. Whenever two or three get together in my name, I'm right there in the middle of them. You know? So, but, but I had, we had this thing, and it was, it was all, we, when, we, when we'd serve communion, we'd have the, the table up there, and on the front of our table, it said, in remembrance of me. And so, and it was like, it was almost like a, a prophetic picture even of the, there were altars in the, in the Old Testament, in Moses' tabernacle there were altars, there were altars in Solomon's tabernacle. And so, anyway, but I, I often had that thought, but I, I want to I ask the question in your life, in particular, speaking of altars of memorial or altars of remembrance, what are you building with God in your life so that the generations to come behind you will look at your life, they'll look at the altar you built, and I'm talking prophetically here, are you with me? To look at that and say, I remember when God did this with my mom and dad, God did this with my grandpa and grandma, or it could be, you know, not just biological, it could be spiritual as well. But in Genesis chapter 28, I love this, I don't even know how we're going to get through this because there's so much stuff here, and I don't really, I, I I said earlier, I said I've been praying through this and reading this, and I know this is where God wants us to go today, but I don't know exactly what all he wants to say. So this is as much a surprise for you as it is for me. <laughs> all right, let's start reading. In Genesis 28, uh, where do we want to pick it up? 
Let's go to verse number 10. Here we go. <laughs> this is good. And Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place. Somebody say certain place. He came, what does your Bible say? Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty good then. We're all, we'll go with the majority. Okay. Came to a certain place and he stayed there overnight. Somebody say overnight. And why did he stay there overnight? He stayed there because the sun was set. Okay. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down there to sleep. In verse number 12 then it says, And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood over and beside him. What does your verse say there? Verse 13, the Lord stood above it, okay, or above him, okay? Just, let's just say that. And the Lord stood above him. Okay, let's try that. Ready? One, two, three. We're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to say, and the Lord stood above him. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Okay, so in this encounter that he's having as he's dreaming, the Lord stood above him. And the Amplified says, stood above him and beside him. The Lord, the Lord surrounded him. <laughs> Job knew that too. It says, oh, that it were in the days of old when your friendly counsel was over my tent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling some shuba juice on this. And uh, the Lord stood over him. But get this. And it says, um, and he said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, your forefather, and the God of Isaac. And I will give you and to your descendants the land in which you are lying. So this promise comes. Now it's a specific promise for him personally. But he's saying the promise that your forefathers had, I'm actually giving it to you. And it's not just for you, but it's also for generations to come. So the promise is way bigger than the person. Look at your neighbor and say that. Aren't you glad that the promise is way bigger than one person? So many times we think like that, though, don't we? We think, you know, we're, we're so consumed, and I get it, and I love, I love God's personal, intimate promise for me personally. I get that. But you're going to miss the magnitude of how big the promise is if you're just focused on your own life. That's why obedience and walking in Him becomes a bigger deal, because my actions and my obedience and my leaning in Him and walking with Him and communing with Him directly affects generations to come. You, you know, you've heard it said that, like, sin has consequences, and those consequences can be down the line, right? How about this one, then? Promises and yielding to promises have consequences. And the blessing that comes on my life through my walking in him and him in me and discovering his promises will directly affect my generations to come. Well, I thought that was pretty good, hon. <laughs> You're thinking, okay, you're thinking, all right, yeah. We're processing, yeah. <laughs> is it cold in here today? It is? Oh, okay, all right. 
Anyway, all right. Sometimes that slows things down. Let's try that again. Okay, we got. I don't even know what I said. So how can I say it again? I don't know. What did I just say about the promise? And the promise is the promise that, huh? Yeah, the promise is bigger than the person. That's that's the bottom line. So God's promise over my life is bigger than just me. When he looks at me and he promises something, he prophesies something over you, he's not just saying, this is just about you personally. No, 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 my promise is bigger than that. In fact, there are promises of God that you're, you're walking in right now and it hasn't even been a promise to you personally. It's, it's just come through other people generations before. Think about where we are right now in the kingdom of God. We're where we are right now because our forefathers in the kingdom pressed through and saw breakthrough in certain areas so we could experience the blessing of God right now in the land of the living that they never got to experience. You're now sitting in the result of thousands of years of people, intercessors, praying for God to do something. You're now living in the fulfillment of that. That's why Remembrance Day is so important. We remember, we look back. But so many times we just kind of get so busy with our lives and we don't even think about the price that was paid, not only by him, but even other intercessors, your grandpa, grandma, people, other people in your life, your life, maybe not biologically, but other spiritual leaders. Listen, we're here. I'm here today because of what happened in North Battleford 70 years ago. My great-grandpa was one of the founding fathers of that thing. When the whole thing went kaboom, all of a sudden God just dropped in the place. And I didn't know that till years later. Because just as it's a memorial for good for some, there was a lot of you know, messy stuff going on with it too. When God starts moving, things get messy. It just depends on what side you want to be on. Do you want to be on the side pointing fingers and criticizing? Say, I don't believe that because that doesn't look like the way I had it when I... Or do you want to say, God, you look after the mess. I just want you. And so anyway, so for that very reason, though, because it wasn't the altar that was built in my generational line, uh, primarily denominationally, was it was rejected. What God did there, it was rejected by the denomination that I was a part of. And the denomination I was a part of, God bless them, they experienced the move of God in 1903, 1904, 5, 6, out of the Azusa Street Revival. And they experienced a God. And then, then God did a new thing then, boom, 48, and he started stirring something up in North Battleford. And then the former looked at it and said, no, that doesn't look like we had it, so we're going to reject that. And a memorial was built for the negative, not for the positive. Not until years later in the 90s when the general superintendent of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada wrote a letter of repentance to the, to the leadership of, of that. Many of the leaders, though, had already kind of gone and whatever. They were, some of them passed on. But, and then in the, in the conference, as John and Julie were saying, they were, they were doing things like they were repenting. And I, I see repentance sometimes as an act of tearing down a bad memorial and erecting a positive memorial. Rebuild the altar. So the question I want to ask on this great Remembrance Day is what kind of altar are you building? And so here we go. (laughs) This is so good. Jacob's there and he sees this and he dreams and there's a promise. And um, (laughs) let's break it down. Let's just back up the bus. Let's let's go back to um, and Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. This is important. Somebody give me a water, please.
Um, Beersheba, the name Beersheba, it meant this. So he, he left this place, Beersheba, and it, had, it, it was interesting because um, this Beersheba means a well, uh, a well of oath, or it means um, a well of seven. It means uh, to sevens oneself. That's what the word Beersheba means. We know that seven is a number of perfection, completion. But the well Beersheba where it was dug, that was a, that was a fruitful place. It was like a promised land place. And Abraham dug the well. Uh, you can see, you go read the history on that place. But it was a good place. It was like, man, this is good. There's water here, vast supply of water. We're not going to be thirsty. We can hang out here. This is amazing. So in that sense, it was a real answer in the promise. An answer to the promise. It was in the promised land. But it says there, it says that he was going from, he left Beersheba. And uh, so it meant fullness. It meant blessing. And he went to Haran. And um, on the way... Well, Haran means parched. So he's leaving a fountain of blessing, and he's going to parched. Does that make sense? But yet, on his way from the fountain of blessing to parched, he stops at a certain place because it was dark. So it's interesting because... And we know that you'll see through, through history, you'll see then how uh, Beersheba was a place where, thank you, was a place where um, uh, it became a real blessing. It did become a blessing, and it would be become, a ble- become a blessing. But God's promise to Jacob was bigger than the place of blessing that he once knew. So he gets going from there, and he starts walking toward parched. And as he's walking toward parched, darkness comes. So he lays down in that place, a certain place. And as he lays down, he puts his head on a rock. So imagine this. He's, he comes to this place, and he's looking. He's like, okay, I need to, it's getting dark. It's dark out. But I'm looking for something that I can rest my head on. So he finds a rock in a certain place. And it's a picture, I think, of where some people are, but they don't recognize it. He then goes on to say that he rested on the rock, and as he rested on the rock, he dreamed. And the word of the Lord comes to him. And it says... You're actually laying in your promise right now. Even though it's dark, even though it seems like you left something really good, you're resting in your promise right now. I feel like it's a picture of many people even here today that you might be in a situation in your life where it feels like, man, it's dark. It doesn't seem like I I, I like the way it was before because that was really, really good. And I know you're leading me somewhere, but I don't feel like I'm in a good place right now, maybe. I don't feel like I'm in a real spot of brightness and revelation, and it, it may be a little tough right now. But did you notice that the promise never came until darkness covered the place? There's a place in God that you can't find unless it's dark. Really? 
I'm not subscribing to it that God brings darkness upon you, and I'm talking about evil darkness, but I'm talking about times when, when God's saying, I need you to find this place by faith, because if you, only, if you find it by everything else that you see all around you, it's not going to have the great significance in your life that I want it to have. So he goes there, and we know that Jesus is the rock that he was resting on. Another thing to note there is that the promise that he was laying in, because he, he was laying in the promise, but he didn't know it. The land, that, the promised land, the land that was promised to him, going from blessing to a dry place in the middle of that, like that's a weird transition, okay? <laughs> but in the middle of this process that God's saying, actually, you can't hang on to this, you can't just camp around this one well, because there's a, I got more wells, I got other wells, there are going to be other wells, there's going to be, in fact, the supply is going to get greater and greater and greater, but if you're just content with what you've got, then I'm not going to, you're not going to get what I've promised. So as he's laying there, he's laying in the land that was promised to him, but he had no clue. He's laying there, it's, and the Lord says, by the way, where you rest, you will possess. I think there's something about resting in God. John, you said it earlier today. Everything that, we, that he has for us, everything that he wants us to step into can only be possessed through rest. And so we read on there, it's, he, he, he says, and then it says this, and it says, um, and verse 14, your offspring shall be as countless as the dust or the sand on the ground and spread abroad to the west, the east, the north, the south. And by your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed themselves. Wow. And behold, I am with you. So here he is again. He's, he's, he's prophesying. He's speaking a promise to him in his sleep, in his dream. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep watch over you. I'll notice you, and I'll take care of you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done all for which I have told you. Now that's a promise that you could put on your life and just hang on to that and anchor that deep in your soul. That's a good one right there. Read that again with me. What does it say? It says, I will not leave you until I've done all which I have told you. So the promise always includes the, the partnership. It's, it's you and God. He's not, he's not saying, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to do this, and then you've got to sort it out for yourself. No, he's saying, I'm with you all the time. I'm going to help you discover it. I'm going to help you get into it. I'm not going to leave you until this is completely fulfilled. And even then, in that sense, he never would leave because he's never going to leave you or forsake you. All right, and then it says here, it says, and behold, I will keep watch over you, and I will do this, and I will not leave you until I've done all which I've told you. Verse 16, and Jacob awoke from his sleep, so then he, he awoke from this. It was like, it's like two things were happening here, because altars represented a place of convergence between God's realm and man's realm, the supernatural realm, and, and, and the natural realm, the human realm. And so the natural realm. So, so what happened here was this convergence took place. And so it says, then he awakened. But really, he was already awakened. I think his first awakening was the awakening to see what was going on in the spirit. That was the first awakening. 
The second great awakening <laughs> was, for all you history buffs, the second great awakening was when he physically awoke and then he realized that he said this and he said, surely the presence of the Lord was in this place and I didn't even know it. How many times do you feel like you're fumbling along through life trying to discover and trying to, you know, live out fulfillment and trying to really, really take hold of what God has already taken hold in you and you, you don't recognize the place? Maybe, just maybe, you're asking God to deliver you from a place that he wants you to rest in so you can lay in the promise a little longer. You understand what I'm, yeah, this, this picture here, this is not a doom and gloom thing. This is a, this is a, ah! <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we like to rush through things, you know, and God's like, no, no, just, just rest, just sleep. And so it's interesting, let's keep reading. He says there, it says that he, the very stone that he, ra- he rested his head on. We know that he, he learned to rest in Jesus. And that when you rest in Jesus, you know that everything comes alive. You know that everything is fulfilled. See, Jesus is your promised land. So wherever that stone is, is your promised land. And so he was resting there. But that was the place, physically, geographically, that he was resting in the promise. And then it says that he got up from there. And what did he do? He wanted to, because the promise wasn't just for him, it was for generations. And so he said, what I want you to do, I, I want, you, you, I'm going to take this stone that I was resting on, and I'm going to build an altar. And, and so that generations would know and see. And you see it over and over again. They go back through there. The, he, renamed, he called the place Bethel then, right? This is long before Redding, California, by the way. <laughs> so he, he has... Um, he has this stone, he, he, he builds this altar, and it was an altar so that he would remember the promise, and this altar where he encountered the Lord. Now, sometimes what happens is with us, and well, not, I shouldn't say with us, by us I mean me. <laughs> uh, sometimes what happens is we, we uh, are in the middle of the process of God leading us and guiding us and wherever he's taken us and what he wants to do in us and all that kind of stuff, and... Um, Instead of resting on the rock, the rocks we start building an altar with are like rocks of fear, a stone of unbelief. Well, let's just take some of that doubt and put it up here. Let's take that anxiety that we're carrying because we don't understand what it looks like. We're just going to, boom, we're going to start doing this here and building that. And so don't we want our, don't we want our lives and our children and our children's children physically, spiritually, to look back and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember what Carolyn told me that one time. She told me that story about how God was speaking to her about identity. And it was like, when I heard that, it was like a, a stone. It was like just like a rock that was like, yeah, that's the piece that I want to carry. That's what I want to have. That's, the memori- that's, the, that's what I want to look back on as a marker in my life. So the question is, what kind of altar are you building? What kind of altar am I building? Am I building an altar that's, that's in, my, in, in my life that um, is, is all full of disgruntlement and discontentment and grumbling or, God forbid, like bitterness, rocks of bitterness? <laughs> I 
I want my kids to, I want my kids to encounter the Lord. I mean, they do encounter the Lord, but I want my kids and my children's children, like the promise I carry is bigger than just me. In fact, I would, I would, I would challenge our fatherhood and our motherhood, I'm talking about everybody, based on what things look like two generations down the road. You know, I don't know if you've heard this said before, but you can, you'll, you, can, you can tell, you'll see the fruit of your parenting, your fathering or mothering, by what your grandkids look like. Have you heard that before? No? Well, you did now. So but the, point, the point is, though, is, is I want to build my life, my, my, my um, I want to lay the stones that when my kids pass by and generations to come pass by, they can look at it and say, oh, yeah, faith. I remember that when, when mom and dad were up against something. And they didn't grumble and complain, but they just began to declare and overcome. And they were like, we're not going to live in that. We're going to fly a little higher. Let's not, let's not be discouraged by discouragement. Let's not be bitter, but let's just step it up a little higher. Why don't we build an altar of faith and an altar of hope and an altar of blessing and an altar of forgiveness so that we can stand on that and fly a little higher than our problems? Right? So, so anyway, let's keep reading here. This is, I just think it's such a good story. and says, surely the Lord... Surely the Lord or the presence of the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. And it says, he was afraid and said, how, how awesome is this place. It's none other than the house of God and this is the gateway to heaven. Now we know that New Testament wise now, you know that you are the gateway of heaven. Jesus was the, the ladder and he's in you. So there's a ladder everywhere you go, the ladder can go this way, go this way. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so it says there, he says, this is none other than the gateway to heaven. And Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he'd put under his head and he set it up as a monument or an altar to the vision in his dream. And then he poured oil on its top in dedication. And he named the place Bethel or Bethel. This is the house of God. And so then he made a vow a godly vow, and he said, if, if, if God will be with me and keep me in this way, and that, uh, in this way that I go, and give me food to eat and clothing to wear, so shall I come again to my Father's house in peace, and then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set here as a pillar or a monument, shall be God's house, a sacred place to me, uh, and all of the increase of possessions that you give me, I will give a tenth to you. So then it went from there, this place of altar went not just as a place to remember something that happened, but it became a place of commitment where he said, now I'm just going to recognize. That's why we, we don't teach on it a lot. We're going to probably teach on it some more. But when we talk about re- receiving, you know, we, we have time for the tithes and offerings. It's, it's not about, um, it's just that I have to do this because I'm, I'm under a law of doing this. It's not, that's not it. This is like entry-level basics 101. He's saying, I want to recognize, I'm going to give you a tenth of all the increase of my possessions. I'm going to give that to you because this is, it, it's in connection with the altar that I've built here and the covenant and the promise that you have in my life, right? <sighs> Mm-hmm. What you rest on becomes the altar you build with. So what are you resting on today? I think we kind of put that out there a little bit already. And then you keep on reading. Um, 
you can go on fast forward life. I'd encourage you to do a stutter on a stutter a study on altars. I'd encourage you to go through and, and read different places where 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 God instructed them to set up an altar, where he instructed them to 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 build that because uh, it's so yeah it, it's it's ridiculous. Jacob was one; he did it many times over. So I want to, I wanna, as we have this today, we're sitting here, it's, well, it's 12 o'clock, but we're, we're on Remembrance Day, and um, I believe that God has, like, we're, we're in the promise right now. You're in the promise God has for you right now. You just may not recognize it yet. So I, I'm going to pray that God would, number one, he'd wake us up to the reality, to his reality. He'd wake us up to uh, realize that, that we're in his promise. But it's interesting that, G, that, that um, Jacob never got to experience the, the prophetic word that the Lord was over him, the Lord was with him, and seeing the, the, all that stuff. He didn't get that revelation until he took time to rest. So he was resting on the rock, you see? Okay, let's have the worship team come on back up, please. There's a... Um, some people too are in this place where right now you're, you feel like it's, it's dark. And I've said this before that um, every new day, every new season, it begins in the darkness. And so God's looking for you to find him as the, as the stone, the, the cornerstone, the, the stone that you'll build your life on within, uh, in the dark, darkness. And so it says, Jacob went to a certain place. So you need to identify the certain place. And um, how, many, how many feel that God's called you, called you, let's just say, like, with, to catch the fire of Winnipeg? He's called you here. How many believe that? That's pretty cool. So regardless of what you are experiencing in your personal life right now, how many feel that God's called you to your spouse? How many feel like God has a spouse for you to call you to? <laughs> okay, so... So, <laughs> Don, so, anyway, you need to understand when, when God's called you to a certain place, he's, he wants to meet you there. But notice that Jacob, God didn't meet with Jacob until he was resting in the place that God called him to be. Right? I believe that God has called certain friends to be part of your, our lives, you know, different people in the family of God, different people that he wants us to influence that aren't born, born from above yet. I firmly believe that too. But the, the deal is, is, to, is to be in the place where you're called to be. That's why it's not just by chance. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't just go and get a job just because, you know, we need to make a living. Although we do need to make a living, that's great. But God has a specific place for you. He's got a specific spot, whether it's in your vocation or it's in your family or it's in your church or it's in your, you know, wherever it is. He's got a certain place for you. But you're not going to discover and hear God's promise echoed over your life until you learn to rest in that dark place. Even as good as it was, it feels like we're going to something parched, but on the way to that, he spoke and the promise became bigger than the blessing that he had before. Hmm. That sounds fun. Ah, so let's stand up today. What I'd like to do is I'd like to have an altar call. And this is not an altar call for you to necessarily receive ministry or prayer. But um, I want you to 
whatever God spoke to you through Genesis 28 this morning, whether you're in that place where um, you're having a hard time seeing, it's dark and you can't see, um, maybe you're having a hard time resting and you're not resting on that rock of peace, you're not resting on that rock of faith, that rock of strength, you're resting in fear, anxiety, dread, um, doubt, unbelief, um, disillusionment, discouragement, maybe you got bitterness, or I don't know, whatever the case may be. But this morning, let's, we're going to have an altar call. We're just going to say, this is an altar. And what I'd like to say is, um, as you respond to the altar today, I want you to, if you have to exchange fear for peace, if you have to exchange, like whatever the exchange needs to be, that you would, you would build an altar in your life Say, Lord, I thank you that the promise that you have for me is for generations, not just me. And I want my generations to come to look on my life and say, man, faith, vision, steadfastness, courage, all those kind of words, those are the kind of rocks that we want to build altars with so that when our kids come by and see it, they look go, oh, yeah. Mom and dad didn't respond negatively there. They respond positively. Look at the blessing that they, they're walking in. It's because of that. So when the kids would see it, they would choose the same thing. That's why you see over and over, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Come on. <laughs>